Good morning, Downtown Harbor Church. I am so excited to be with you this morning. My name is Christina Cooper. I'm the Creative and Next Gen Director here at DHC, and we're just so thrilled that you've chosen to spend your morning with us. If you have been joining us these last few weeks, you know that we are in a series today called BC. We're talking about everything that happened before Christ. What happened before it all happened? And what are these key characters in the Old Testament and how does their story apply to our lives? Well, we have had a lot of fun talking about guys such as Joshua, Moses, Gideon, but today I happen to think I have maybe the coolest guy from this entire series. I mean, the story we're talking about today is just simply so fun. Lots of twists and turns, lots of crazy stuff that makes you think, is this like the Bible that we're reading from? Because this guy is one of a kind. The Bible character we are talking about today is Samson. So Samson is this legendary warrior, and he was judge over Israel for 20 years. But he's also so much more than that. You might have never even heard a sermon about this guy, Samson, before. In fact, I was thinking about it as I was preparing for this message today, talking with John and Adam, and we just kind of, I mean, we thought, you know, I don't think I've ever been to a church and heard a message on Samson. I mean, listen, I've heard it in church all the time. We always share this story with our kids when they're growing up in our church, but I don't think Samson's ever made it to the big stage. And, you know, I think that that is just an injustice because his story has so many good things we can learn from it. And just frankly, it's fascinating and fun. And the reason it is so fascinating and so fun is because Samson is known as the strongest man in the Bible potentially the strongest man ever. I mean, he is basically a in real life superhero. His godlike strength was given to him to fight a group of people, a nation known as the Philistines. The Philistines would be Israel's big enemy for hundreds of years. In fact, Goliath from the story of David and Goliath, he was actually a Philistine. He came a couple hundred years after Samson. And so this was a brand new enemy that came on the scene that the Israelites were going to be fighting for some time. And Samson, he was born to help start that journey of rescuing the Israelites from the Philistines. He was destined from birth to rescue Israel from this group of people. And our story takes place today in the book of Judges, chapters 13 through 16. It's just four small chapters for such a big character in the Bible. And I do encourage you, we're going to talk about so much today, but you should go read these couple of chapters on your own time because it's definitely a good read. We find in the beginning, in Judges 13, we meet Samson's parents. It's this nice, God-fearing couple who's been unable to have children until one day an angel of the Lord appears to them. It says in Judges 13, verses 4 through 5, it says, You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. This is the angel of the Lord talking to this couple. It says, And his hair must never be cut. Interesting. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. So we see here, just like I had said earlier, Samson was specifically born and put on earth for God's great plan of giving the Israelites a superhero leader that could, you know, rescue them and and, and help bring down this enemy. And the key word that might have caught your eye in this verse is that word Nazarite. What is that? What? We've never heard that before, right? 
Well, there is actually something called a Nazarite vow that we learn about earlier in the scriptures, like in, in the book of Numbers. And what it does, it's, it's this voluntary vow that the people in Israel could make if they wanted to, how I'll put it, achieve extra closeness to God. They had to take on a couple extra rules. And by doing that, they would have an even more intimate and close relationship with God. John the Baptist was actually speculated to be a Nazarite. And we learn that, you know, what this vow entails in the book of Numbers chapter six, we learn three key things, no wine, no haircuts, and no touching dead bodies, to which I want to be like, I got number three down. <laughs> but um, these kind of odd rules are what the Nazarite people would do on top of just the general Israel rules. And Samson was destined to take this vow to be one of these people who followed this extra strict set of rules. And what was so unique about Samson and his vow was that it gave him superhuman strength. This was not the case with all Nazarites. In fact, he was, as far as we know, the only one, just Samson. He gained this superhuman strength by following this Nazarite vow with the Lord. And this strength, I mean, it's epic. It is Marvel superhero level. In fact, I kind of like to think whenever I think of Samson, I think of him basically as biblical Thor. I mean, he's got the long hair because of not being able to have a haircut. He's got the muscles and he can get any girl he wants. He's like, he's all that. And he has this superhuman strength. And this is where my husband gets a little concerned because this is not the first time I've brought up Chris Hemsworth in a message, but I digress. Because he is in the Sunday School Hall of Fame, obviously because of this unique kind of story and gift that he has from God and this special purpose to help save them from the enemy, the Philistines. However, just like those Marvel superheroes that we love, Samson has his weaknesses and his vices. Unfortunately, it's kind of a cautionary tale with some like Greek mythology flair because Samson tend to get a little caught up in the superhero status and he wreaks havoc in his life with the choices that he makes. So without further ado, let's dive into some of the wild life events that characterize our macho man today, Samson. First, let's talk about that superhuman strength because the Bible teaches us and makes it clear that Samson's strength was from God. Every time that Samson goes on to do something with his great strength, it always says right beforehand that the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Here are just a few examples. In the book of Judges, in his story, we read, One day, a young lion came running toward him, making a loud noise. The spirit of the Lord came upon Samson with power, and Samson tore the lion apart, like one tears a young goat. Like, you know the way that you tear a young goat? Like, like just like that, but imagine a lion, right? It's like, this is the funniest verse because, yeah, that's a comparison we all understand. Sure. It goes on. There's uh, another time Samson is in a situation where the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he went down to the town of Ashkelon, killed 30 men, took their belongings and gave their clothing to the men who had solved his riddle. You're like, what? More on that deadly riddle later. But there it is. The spirit of the Lord helped him do this. And even just one more example, the Philistines were coming toward him, shouting at one point, And it says that the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him 
Then the ropes of his arms, because he was bound, the ropes of his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands and finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. So let's, let's recap. This guy is tearing apart lions and killing hundreds of men with his bare hands. And every time it says that the spirit of the Lord helped him do this. It came powerfully upon him before he was able to, you know, do these crazy things. And if you're like me, you might be wondering, why is the spirit of the Lord dwelling in Samson for these seemingly inconsequential and sometimes controversial things? Like this random lion. Did the spirit of the Lord not have anything better to do than to help Samson rip apart a lion? But kind of what I took away from it and what I think it means is that when God gives you a talent, you have the freedom to use it however you want. So are you going to use it or are you going to waste it? Each of you has a unique strength or talent or skill that God has given you. And are you going to use it to further his purpose for your life? Or are you going to use it for your own amusement or maybe just not even use it at all? And though it's clear that the spirit of the Lord was with him every single time, there's a problem. Every time Samson praised himself for his achievements. At the end of that scene that we just read, you know, with the donkey jawbone and all that wildness, killing a thousand men, as Samson goes on right after that to say in Judges 15, 16, it says, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. It's all, I did this and I did that. No mention of the Lord, despite the fact that it's very clear the spirit of the Lord was the one giving him this power. And I just believe that it is so dangerous when we start to credit ourselves with the things that God has given us. Because he is ultimately our source. The Bible makes it clear. Every good and perfect gift is from above which is why it's so important that we use those good and perfect gifts for his good and perfect purpose. But the minute that we start to get possessive or prideful about things that truly aren't ours, that's when we lose our focus and we can put everything in jeopardy. C.S. Lewis, who is just a huge figure in Christian theology and literature, he had dubbed pride the greatest sin because he said, you know, sometimes it's the root of all sin. If you think about maybe if there's someone you know that was a big successful person and they had this big downfall, a lot of times pride is what was at the root of that. Maybe pride that led to greed or pride that led to sexual immorality because pride can make you feel invincible. The Bible says it, you know, this way, pride comes before destruction. And unfortunately, we might see that Samson let pride be the root of a lot of his decision-making. And it kind of seems to be one of his greatest vices because it led him to ignore the guardrails that God had put in his life, specifically when it came to relationships. You see, he had the Nazarite vow, but also he just had those Israelite laws and guardrails that he was supposed to be following. And one of them was related to relationships because God had admonished the Israelites to not have relations with foreigners, foreign nations around them, because God knew that there were temptations and sins and other gods that were in those cultures that could infiltrate Israel's like consecrated nation and culture if they had those foreign relationships. So it was basically like Israel law to not be unequally yoked in this way. 
But Samson didn't listen. Kind of seemed a little self-indulgent, and he got into some chaotic situations because of it. The first being what I will call a marriage riddled with trouble. And you're going to see why that's like such a good pun in like a minute. So just hold on to that. But he entered into a marriage riddled with trouble. You remember that lion that he just like randomly killed? Well, that happened when he was on his way to go meet this woman that he had seen and decided he wanted to marry. It was a Philistine woman. Um, He was actually with his parents at the time. And his parents are like, hey, Samson, like, Is there not anyone good enough for you in the Israelite camp? Because they knew that, you know, he shouldn't be having relationships with these foreign women. But he is quoted in the Bible saying, nope, her, she looks good to me. So that was what was happening when he first saw that lion. He was going to go visit this woman. Well, he takes that same journey uh, a little sometime later, it says, because this time he's heading back there to go and have the wedding feast to officially marry this woman and have a seven day uh, wedding feast, which was customary at the time. And as he was taking that trip back on that same road, he saw the lion that he had killed before. He saw the carcass. And the Bible tells us that there had been a swarm of bees that had started to make honey in the carcass of the lion. So Samson goes over, scoops out some honey from the carcass, super gross. And the Bible says he just started to walk along and eat the honey. So he's like, got this gross travel snack, right? And he arrived at the feast and this experience inspired him to come up with a riddle that he then challenged his wedding guests, his Philistine wedding guests with um, at that wedding feast. And so he says, all right, if you can solve this riddle I'm about to give you, I'll give you 30 linens and sets of clothes, but vice versa if you can't solve it. So the Philistines accept this challenge and Samson gives them the riddle in Judges 14, 14. He says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Pretty clever riddle, right? Well, the Philistines are stumped for four days and uh, there are three days left in the feast. And it turns out the Philistines are not gracious losers because they heighten the the stakes. They go to Samson's wife and they say to her, entice your husband to explain the riddle for us, or we will burn down your father's house with you in it. Did you invite us to this party just to make us poor? So it's like, whoa, guys, this went to zero from zero to 100, like real quick. And so now they're threatening this. And I think understandably, the wife is now like going to go to Samson and try to get the answer to this riddle. And she has some effective tactics to do so. The Bible says, so Samson's wife came to him in tears and said, you don't love me. You hate me. You have given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. So she cried whenever she was with him and kept it up for the rest of the celebration. A a true joy, right? What What a time to be a bride. It says, at last on the seventh day, he told her the answer because she was tormenting him with her nagging. This is like hilarious, but I love it. Nagging is effective. Women take notes. No, but uh, she tells the Philistines after she gets the answer. So she goes, she tells the Philistines. The Philistines tell Samson and he figures out that the wife snitched and he is super upset. He goes into this frenzy. That's when he goes to the nearby town and the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he strikes down 30 people to get those belongings so that he can pay for his loss in this bet. 
And the problem is, this is craziness. Samson is using God-given strength to do damage control on his betting habits. And he's spending all this time and all of this effort on things that he shouldn't be even involved in in the first place. He's supposed to be rescuing Israel, and instead he's playing party games with the Philistines. The fact is, Samson got caught up in his own games. But how easy is it for us to do the same thing? To get caught up in the games or the drama that we create for ourselves in our life. I mean, it seems easier than ever to get caught up in like Facebook feuds and those are just all consuming sometimes, right? Or reality TV, we love seeing people navigate through the disasters that they've created for themselves. And I just believe that in culture today, the truth is we spend so much time and energy in man-made chaos when rather God is inviting us into his peace. He's inviting us to focus on things that truly matter. See, Samson had a great mission, a mission that truly mattered, but he got so wrapped up in his self-created chaos. And unfortunately, it didn't stop there. See, after that whole wedding debacle, it actually goes on to say in the Bible that the Philistines then gave Samson's wife in marriage to the guy that was the best man at the wedding. Like, no joke, this is in the Bible, go read it. <laughs> um, and so Samson's super upset. And so he plans a revenge prank that, I'm telling you, when I read this, I had to read it twice because I was like, am I, am I really reading this right now? This is, this is crazy. So listen, Judges 15.5, here's the revenge prank that Samson plans. It says, he went out and caught 300 foxes. He tied their tails together in pairs, and he fastened a torch to each pair of tails. Then he lit the torches and let the foxes run through the grain fields of the Philistines. I mean, come on, this is brilliant. It was also successful. It burned all of the grain to the ground. It also destroyed the vineyards and the olive groves. So now the Philistines have a food shortage equivalent to the toilet paper shortage of March, 2020, okay? And it's kind of fun to read that, but honestly though, this prank breeds so much chaos. The Philistines are furious. They find out that, you know, Samson's former wife's dad was the one who gave it away. So then they actually kill their family for causing this. And so then Samson's on the run. He's hiding in a cave. Then we have that whole donkey jawbone murder scene. Guys, it's just out of control. And remember, this is all happening as a result of Samson's impulses and actions and him being in a situation he wasn't even supposed to be in the first place marrying this Philistine woman. So rather than listening to God and following his calling for his life to rescue the, the Israelites, he is just all over the place. And it is, I mean, it is fun to watch though. And actually there is another line that's just too funny to not mention. He's hiding in the cave and the Israelites come to him and they're like, dude, don't you realize like the Philistines are ruling over us right now. You are like causing so much trouble for us. And he answered, I merely did to them what they did to me. Basically the Bible equivalent of they started it. <laughs> it's like, okay, thank you, Samson. Yes, thank you. Really knocking it out of the park as a judge. But you know, despite all this, despite the childness, their childishness and the, the madness, the revenge pranks, like all of this craziness, through it all, God was with him. 
He may have been imperfect, but God provided for him each time because of that Nazarite covenant that they had. And, you know, just because God is with him, though, didn't mean that God could save him from himself and his own choices. Because Samson continued to disobey, and once again, later in the story, he aligns himself with the enemy. He falls in love with a Philistine woman named Delilah. This gal is a real scoundrel, okay? She falls in love with Samson. I'm going to just assume here for the muscles and the good looks, right? But she really is interested in the money because the Philistines come to her with a life-changing amount of silver on the line. If she can get them, or if, yeah, she can get him to reveal the secret to his great strength and then, you know, tell them what that secret is. So she accepts. And one day she just, I assume, casually asked Samson, it says in Judges 16, 6, it says, so Delilah said to him, please tell me what makes you so strong. And like, what would it take to tie you up securely? And it's like, um, red flag much, Samson? Like, well, you know, just, just casually, what would it do to take, make sure you could not get out of this? And, you know, he gives some fake answer. So we at least have to give him credit for that. He gives a fake answer saying, like, if, if I was tied up with new bowstrings, I would not be able to get out of them. Well, Delilah takes that information and she hides some Philistines in their house. She ties him up, maybe when he's asleep, I have no idea, ties him up with these new bowstrings and then yells, oh my goodness, Samson, the Philistines are coming for you. To which the Bible tells us Samson Samson snapped the bowstrings as a piece of string snaps when it is burned by a fire. And so the secret of his strength was not discovered. So Delilah's little trick didn't work, but she is nothing if not persistent. She goes to him and she says, you know, why are you making fun of me? I thought you loved me. Like, please just tell me your secret. So this time he's like, all right, all right. If I was tied in brand new ropes, another lie, then I wouldn't be able to have my strength anymore. And what do you do? What do you expect? Delilah then ties him in brand new ropes, calls the Philistines out, and Samson is able to escape again. And so that's strike two, right? Well, we make it to a strike three because Delilah does the same whole charade. She says, oh my goodness, why are you still making fun of me? This time Samson's like, you're right, you're right, you're right. It's actually, if you put some fabric in my hair braid, then I won't be able to. So Delilah tries a third time and to no avail because Samson is able to escape. So now Delilah's real upset. It says in verse 15, she full out pouted. How can you tell me that you love me? when you don't share your secrets with me. You've made fun of me three times now, and you still haven't told me what makes you so strong. And I just got to wonder, all this back and forth, like, does Samson just really like these games? I mean, we we do know. He enjoys a good mess around. And maybe his ego kind of liked the challenge of having to get out of the situation each time, but I don't know, man. It seems like he might also just be really whipped, (laughs) which is a dangerous place for anyone to be in. Uh, Because right after this, we see Samson in kind of a deja vu scenario back in a moment he has been in before where it says she tormented him with her nagging day after day until he was sick to death of it. Finally, Samson shared his secret with her. So honestly, what I'm learning here is that the nagging is really the greatest weapon out there. So, I mean, men, 
what do you compromise on just to stop the nagging? <laughs> just kidding. But I mean, really, like, should you be getting that Louis Vuitton purse or that puppy or that ring? I don't know. So just saying, and I can say that because I'm a girl, but the nagging is really, really effective. Um, and it does, though, seeing this does make me so sad because Samson shares this big secret and it's he's worn down by the nagging again. And it just makes me think, you know, your faith should not be something that can be worn down. We should be investing in our relationship with God and our faith and our principles so that these things cannot be worn down by the world. Because Lord knows the world is going to try to wear it down. It's trying to wear us down these last few months. But if we invest in our relationship with God and that covenant can become so strong that it can withstand the world and and all of those things out there that try to wear us down. And that's why I think that the Bible says that trials are a blessing because they produce in us endurance and perseverance. And those two things are are so key to, to allowing our faith and our peace in the Lord to be that solid rock foundation that we want it to be. But strong faith is also not a license to put yourself in precarious situations. So don't do that either, because that's something Samson keeps doing. Even if he had a really strong faith and really strong covenant with God, he still shouldn't be putting himself in these situations that he is. Part of having a strong faith is showing wisdom when it comes to the situations you allow yourself to be in. Because we all, even today, we all have rules and regulations, or as I like to say, guardrails that God has given us because he loves us. And so to prosper and be blessed in the way that he wants for you, you have to respect those guardrails and make wise choices. I mean, think about all of the hurt and pain that could have been avoided if Samson just followed those guardrails that God had in his life. But unfortunately, his commitment to God proves to be weaker than his commitment to this woman. So she wears him down and he reveals the most sacred thing that he has, the secret to his great strength. It says in verse 17, my hair has never been cut, he confessed, for I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as anyone else. Kind of like that Achilles heel concept, which, by the way, the Achilles heel was written like hundreds of years after Samson. So I might wonder if he inspired it in a way. But we kind of see here, yes, this, this hair, if it's cut, then I lose all of my power. And we know, though, that it's not the hair 100%. It's the hair representing that, that Nazarite vow, which is really what gives him the strength, his connection to God. But this verse, I can't help though and just think of Tangled where it's like, cut my hair, I lose all my power. He's gone from like Thor to Rapunzel. But um, just saying, Delilah though, he takes this information, this, you know, cut the hair, lose all the strength. He takes that to the Philistines. He lulls Samson, she lulls Samson to sleep. And it says next, she called in a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. In this way, she began to bring him down and his strength left him. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as I did before and I'll just shake myself free. But he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. I want to pause and and talk about this for a moment because you might worry seeing here that the spirit left Samson. 
But you have to realize things were different back before Jesus when it came to humans and God, because, you know, the spirit of the Lord would just periodically come upon people and just periodically do these great, wonderful things. But it was certainly not a permanent dwelling like it is today. Because today the spirit of the Lord is this great gift that Jesus gives us um, after the resurrection, after you accept Jesus into your heart, then the spirit of the Lord stays with you. And I just have to imagine, I mean, that's such an unbelievable, amazing gift. And I like to picture all of these Old Testament characters up in the Bible, just super jealous of the fact that we have that kind of access to this amazing spirit of the Lord. And a lot of times, honestly, we just don't even think about it. We don't take advantage of that and and recognize that. And honestly, that's a sermon for another day. But, um, you know, that is why that is happening here. And so Samson has to face the consequence of his actions. And we see in verse 21, so the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. So this is where we realize something sobering and so key about the story of Samson is that your life is a reflection of the choices you make. Your choices matter. And whether you like it or not, bad choices tend to yield negative or unfavorable consequences. And that's why at DHC you hear us say all the time, I need to make the wise choice. Because sometimes God can save you from those consequences, but also he's a good father who knows the importance of consequences for growth. And at the end of the day, he did save us from like the ultimate consequence when he died on the cross for our sins. But Samson here, his life turned out a certain way because of the choices he made and the situations he allowed himself to be in. God had a great plan for Samson but it was Samson's free choice to follow that plan. God set him up for success, great parents, the Nazarite vow, all the strength, but it was Samson's job to carry it out and follow God, just like it is for us. God, I believe, has such amazing things planned for each and every one of us, but it's our job to stay in those guardrails, to listen to his voice and and try to follow the things that he has in store with us so that we can be blessed in that great way and get to do great things for his kingdom. But all the choices that we make every day, they influence the ultimate path that we take. And that's why it is so important to listen to God's word, pray to hear his voice, and to take in the wise counsel around us so that we can be on that blessed, favorable path where we get to do great things for God. But regardless, you know, I know that sounds scary then, but regardless of bad choices and mistakes, it's okay, we all have those. Regardless of that, one thing is always true, and that is that God is a God of redemption. And so even though we've just gone through a laundry list of all these crazy things Samson did and all the missteps and the just going off the guardrails and all of that, one thing is still true and he is redeemed at the end by the Lord. We go to his final scene. The Philistines are just have this massive gathering in their big temple, all the rulers, lots of people. And it says in Judges 16.25 that, Half drunk by now, naturally, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. 
Now, the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there, and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. So then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple and pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. So God allows Samson to be more successful in death than he was in life. And in this final moment, he fulfills part of that purpose that he was born for. And so God lets him die a hero. And I believe that God does that here because it's the only time recorded in the scriptures that Samson calls out to God for his strength. I believe that he recognized where his power came from. And so God let him die redeemed. Because at the end of the day, it wasn't about the logistics of the Nazarite vow. It was what that Nazarite vow stood for. It was who that vow was with. It was God. God was always the source. And Samson here recognized and declared that. And so I believe God redeems his story because of it and redeems his legacy and, and allows him to fulfill that eternal plan after all. So with all that said, what's the practical? What do you do with a wild message like this? I love that at DHC, we always close our messages with little practical nuggets that you can think over in the coming days. Because I don't want you to hear a fun story like this, but not know how to then apply it to your own life in the coming days. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is Samson's story in the Bible? It truly, I think, sounds like a superhero story in the middle of the Bible. And, you know, so what's the reason? What, what can we learn from it? Well, I believe it shows us a few things. First, never forget where your strengths come from. Maybe you are brilliant in your career. Maybe you're physically very capable. Maybe you're talented musically. And hey, if you're talented musically, can you please let me know so we can put you in the band? But whatever it is, don't lose sight of where those gifts come from. Because it's easier sometimes to reach out to God from the pit than it is when you're up at the top. But it's so important to not forget who is the person who got you up to the top in the first place? Because when we think that we're strong on our own or we rely on ourselves, or we give in to pride, that's when we lose focus on the one who is the one who gave us everything we have. Second, here's a question to think about. What are you letting get in the way of your covenant to God? What are you maybe giving a foothold that could compromise your faith in God? For Samson, it seems that main thing was relationships. And honestly, that's a really easy one for any of us. But it also could be a lifestyle choice or a group of friends or a job. Maybe it's even something that's not obvious. Maybe just the weight of worry and fear from these last few months has been taking up your focus instead of you being able to focus on God's promises and God's peace. Whatever it is, identify it and don't give it a foothold in your life. 
You can set yourself up for success in this way by obeying the wisdom of the Bible and paying attention to those guardrails so that you don't put yourself in a compromised position that could cause consequences in your life that God never wanted for you. And lastly, the hope of it all, you are never too far gone. We saw it with Samson. Pride, relationships, revenge, all of these things got in the way of his relationship with God. And when he defeated enemies, he praised himself. And yet, despite all of that, at the end of his life, he turned to God with nothing but broken promises. And God gave him one last victory. And God wants to give you victory in your life too. And I hope you hear me when I say you are never too far gone to ask for it. They say that you can take many steps away from God, but it only takes one step to be right back with him. And that's just the beautiful power of grace that God will always be there for you. So let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this unique, exciting story of Samson where we hear someone that you set up for greatness, someone you had such great plans for, and yet we see their humanness. We see their imperfection, things that we are just as susceptible to, going off of the guardrails, having pride in our lives, all of these things that can sometimes get in the way of us being close to you. And so this story is such a great wake-up call for us to look at our own lives and think, what might I be blind to that could be getting in the way of my precious covenant with you? And God, so I pray for every single person listening today that you would reveal to them, reveal to me the thing that you are trying to tell us needs to go. That we would refocus our eyes on you, that we would not be filled with worry and fear with everything going on in this world, God, but focus on your peace and your promise and the great eternal plan that we know you have. God, I do believe that you have great plans for every single person here at this church. And so I just pray that you would excite them with that, that we would run toward you, that we would be filled with just imagination and excitement for the things that you have in store. And because of that, we would just look to you for every choice we make, every step we take, um, so that God, everything we do could be glorifying to you. We love you and we thank you for this story of Samson. We thank you that you redeemed his life, that he got to fulfill that purpose that you had set out for him, God. And um, we just always will always give you all the glory. We pray this all in your great name. Amen.